tomb and the fact that they didn't believe Jesus because Jesus told his disciples, he told his, you know, Mary, he told all these people that, okay, on the third day, I will rise again. I am the resurrection and the life. I, I will rise again. I will be raised from the dead. And yet the disciples and Mary, as we saw last week, they didn't believe Jesus. They, they, they wasted time. They wasted money to buy these burial spices. They, they, they wasted, you know, sleep. They, they, they mourned. They grieved. All these other things, which were probably unnecessary if they would have just believed the words of Jesus, knowing that he would be raised from the dead. And my wife and I were talking about this because Jesus then, he says, I am coming back again. Do we believe the words of Jesus? All right. So when he comes back again, are we going to be so shocked? Like, oh my. And that's what my wife and I were talking. Like, man, if Jesus came back in, like, I can't believe it. He came back, you know, and if he was in Warsaw, I'd buy a train ticket to go see him. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's really here, you know. But if we truly believe the words of Jesus, then what he says is true and it's going to come to pass. You know, but I've had doubts you know, the woman doubted, the disciples doubted. I think people here maybe still doubt if Jesus will come back or maybe they doubt if there was a resurrection or if it really took place. But what happens if we don't trust the words of Jesus is that we, that we lose. And I think the consequence of losing is having disbelief. And disbelief by definition is this. It's the inability or the refusal to accept that something is true or real. I'll say it one more time because it's going to be very important for our lesson today. The, by definition, disbelief is the inability or the refusal to accept that something is true or real or lack of faith in something. And I've heard many sermons and I've even preached about Thomas. You know, after the resurrection, Thomas says, unless I see the, the nails in his, the nail prints in his hands and feet, I won't believe. And we all call Thomas Doubting Thomas. Now, I don't know why Thomas was picked on or why he got that name Doubting Thomas, because according to Scripture, we see that even Peter and the women that went to the tomb, they didn't believe the words of Jesus. They had doubt. They had disbelief. But the definition of disbelief is the inability, the refusal to accept that something is true or real. And I'll just go on the assumption that you are probably like me and I'm probably like you and that you've had doubts in regards to maybe God or the words of God and what he's saying in the Bible, if it's really maybe relevant to today, is it really relevant in my life or in my situation, or maybe I'm a little bit different than maybe what God is, is saying. But if we happen to refuse and accept that, but what happens to us when we refuse to accept that something is, is true or real, we enter to a state of disbelief, and then we refuse to accept truth, and we refuse to accept reality. You know, it's true that one day we'll die. This is, this is truth. Um, you know, to accept this is important. Uh, the, the Bible makes it very clear that there's, there's a heaven and that there's a, there's a hell. We may choose to accept that, okay, there's a heaven, but we may choose not to accept that, Oh, there's really not a hell. And we choose to disbelief in this area. Um, and if that's the case, then we start going off and 
Maybe there's really no need for a Savior. Maybe there's really no need for Jesus' death on the cross. There's really no need. I mean, there's a judgment to come, but there's really no need for anything that Jesus has done for me. And we enter into a state of, of disbelief. But I think Jesus is full of grace and compassion, and he makes it possible to restore life, to restore truth, and to restore reality to us. And so I had just one point basically this morning, and if you follow along in your handout, Jesus is, in, Jesus is in the business of restoration. Jesus is in the business of restoration. If you didn't get that first part, uh, the first paragraph says, What happens to us when we refuse to accept that something is true or real, we enter into a state of disbelief and refuse to accept truth and reality. So in your Bibles, if you would open up to John chapter 21. John 21, and we'll start in verse 15. Something very interesting here has just happened in in the first 14 verses of John 21. When when Peter was called to follow a disciple of of Jesus, he was out fishing. And here, after Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus then again finds Peter fishing on the Sea of Galilee, just like when he was called as a disciple the first time. The first, the first time when Peter, or when Jesus called Peter, Peter wasn't catching anything. And again, Peter's not catching anything. Both times Jesus tells him to throw the nets where, where Jesus told him. And both times there was the miraculous catch. But that was just the first 14 verses. And so maybe we can even start in verse 12. Jesus said in verse 20, or chapter 21, verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, You know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And we'll stop there. Jesus is in the business of restoration. You know, Jesus did something here that helped shape Peter's confidence, that helped restore Peter to a faithful disciple of him. In your outline, in case there's a little bit of confusion, Simon Peter Simon, son of John, and Peter, same person. It's not the Trinity. It's just, it was Simon. He was the son of John. I'm Richard. I'm the son of George. Um, he got the name Peter when, when Jesus gave it to him, the, the rock. So, just so you're not confused, same, same guy. Um, but Jesus gave Peter the ability to be honest in his feelings towards Jesus. 
And Peter knew what he did was absolutely wrong when the Last Supper, he's like, you know, Lord, I'll follow you to the very end. And he's like, in fact, you'll deny me three times tonight. Peter's like, no way, not me. I would never do that. And Peter did. Now, Jesus is coming and having a conversation with Peter. You can imagine Peter probably feeling very inadequate. He no longer calls him Simon Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. You know, Peter is really not fit for Peter right now. Peter meaning, you know, rock, this, this solid guy. But Jesus was there to restore Peter. In verse 15, we read that when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? You know, I, I think of what, what is more than these? Do you have an idea what more than these is? Is it more than his boat? <laughs> I know men, we like, you know, a good boat or something like that for fishing. Or is it more than the fish? Is it more than the disciples? Um, I think maybe this is probably in reference to Peter's boasting in the upper room where he was stated that if everybody else fled, he never would. Peter was boastful and Jesus was asking, Simon, are you still willing to make that claim? And Peter, his response was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But this time there was no comparison no, no boasting on his level of commitment. You know, was it superior to anybody else's? Um, but Peter, through his mistake, he learned something. He learned humility. Uh, he realized that maybe he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. And I think that sometimes happens in our life when we're walking with the Lord. You know, we're on the top of the mountain. We can do anything. But then when we step away from God, even for a moment, we can find ourselves in a very humiliating or very humbling situation. Peter was humbled at most, but he became honest about his spiritual condition. Two, two questions for us. Have we ever been humbled? And I think maybe the answer is, is yes, unless maybe we have too much pride to admit it. But have you ever been humbled spiritually? Have you ever been humbled spiritually? I think this is a pretty good maybe question to, to think about is our, our spiritual condition. You know, do we feel like last weekend, you know, Jesus is alive, resurrection day. And then throughout this week, what was our week like? Was it kind of maybe denying Jesus maybe once or maybe more, uh, maybe how we lived our life? Or was it very consistent in, in loving God? Here there's only in the book of John where it states these, these two different words of love. And the first time, Jesus asked three times the, the question, do you love me? And the first two times in the book of John, he asked the question, and he uses the word, the Greek word phileo, which is a love, like a brotherly love. I, I like you. Like, I, I really like you. And the third time he asked Peter the question, he uses the word agape, which is a strong commitment of love. Uh, to give you an example, when, when Brooke and I were dating, um, I drove her crazy. I still drive her crazy even as we're married. But uh, I never told a girl I loved her. And I, and I would tell Brooke, she's like, why don't you say it? I said, well, the same time I want to say I love you, I want to put a ring on your finger. Because I know that's the, how committed I want to be to marry just the person I'd say that I love. And so I would always tell Brooke, I like you a lot. <laughs> 
It's just not the same, is it? I don't know, girls, if your boyfriend's like, I really like you, <laughs> you're like, yeah, come on, let's step it up to the next level. I want to hear that word love. Tell me that you love me. And so when I finally told Brooke that I, I loved her, you know, it was great to actually just say it from my heart, like, I just love you. And she's like, yeah, it's about time, you know. But here Jesus is asking Peter the first few times, do you like me? And Peter's like, yeah, Lord, I love you. And he finally moves Peter as he restores him the third time. Do you love me? Are you committed to me? It's like, yes, Lord, I love you. I am committed to you. But what kind of love do we have for our Lord and Savior who has resurrected from the grave? Is it this kind of love like, I really, really like you. I, I like you a lot. You know, and we're willing to maybe do some things for God or, you know, go to church and we really, really like him. Or is it the type of love where it's agape and I'm fully committed? The type of love that Peter was expressing, you know, the the night before he betrayed Christ or denied him. Is it that type of full commitment of love that we have? So is your love, is, is it phileo, which is a strong light for the Lord? Or is it agape? which is a strong commitment to the Lord. So even with the question is Jesus is restoring the Peter back, he asks a question, Simon, do you love me? So maybe you can even enter your name in there. Richard, do you like me? Oh, yes, Lord, I, I like you. Maybe enter your own name in there. You know, do you like me? And if yes, if you do like him, then why not be fully committed in belief to him? Three times Peter failed. Three times he was restored and done so in full view of all the other disciples. They all knew that, the disciples knew that the the rock was back, I guess, that he's been restored. You know, in our own life, Jesus is is in the business of restoration, of restoring us. And I think Peter's life is a reflection of of a lot of ours, is that we have these mountaintops experiences with God. And God, I'll go to the mission fields for you. I'll, I'll, I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you and everything else. But God's just asking us the simple question, do you love me? And I think our, our response would be, yes, Lord, we love you. And sometimes not try to make all these promises to God I'll, I'll always do this for you. I'll, I'll never fail in this area again. And I'll, I'll, you know, stop this sin and I'll, and I'll follow you. Where Jesus is restoring us and saying, do you love me? Do you love me? If you took a moment, just answer that question. Do you love God? Or do you just kind of like him? Is he kind of nice to have around? Or do you truly love him? You know, I was thinking when uh, you guys know this example, I think most of us ride, you know, a bicycle. You know, when you first learned how to ride the bike, it wasn't that you just got on and went. Your, your mom and dad helped you along and they encouraged you and they really supported you a lot. And I think this is the type of God that we have. When we come to Christ, he's, he's not there with a magnifying glass and like, you know, what a moron. I can't believe you did that. But we have a God who's compassionate, a God who is graceful. Even after Peter's failure... You know, and greatest change in history. 
Jesus was there saying, hey, do you love me? And if so, then this is what I want you to do. If you continue reading in 18, it says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Follow me. You know, I think how important belief is. Because belief is, is coming and admitting that something is true or real. But if we live in a state of disbelief, then we choose not to believe something that is true is actually true and something that is real is actually real. This uh, past Thursday, with the church staff meeting, we were able just to go out to the, the fountain near the opera house and sit in the grass. You know, really nice just to enjoy the, the fresh, you know, air, the, the blue skies. And uh, we did a little exercise, and I had this small little survey uh, that each person had, and we went out to talk to somebody about Easter. We ended up talking to about 15 people within our small little group. And the question was, you know, since we're foreigners, we're asking Polish people, what was, was this Polish holiday, this Easter holiday all about? And the two guys that I talked to, one of the guys said, well, it's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, okay. He said, this is one of the biggest holidays of the year. I said, but do you believe this yourself? And he's like, well, one guy said, no, no, not really. And the other guy's like, well, kind of. I was like, well, what do you mean kind of? He's like, well, I don't want to have to do all this religion and all these, all these works. And so I began to share with him John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so I shared with him that whoever believes has eternal life and they won't perish. And he's like, belief? That's all you have to do? I said, yeah. He's like, it's so simple. I said, you're right. It it is so simple that when we come to God, we, we believe. And with belief, this is so important for us. Because if we don't believe, we enter into a state of disbelief and we ref- refuse to accept reality. We refuse to accept truth. So maybe a few questions for us to think about as we come to a close is, is the kind of love that we have for God, is it a true belief in Him? And does that follow with just, <clears throat> I like you, or does it follow with, I love you? Or maybe we're not a a Christian at all and we're in a state of disbelief and and we're choosing not to accept truth. The the thing about God in the Bible is everything is historical. Everything actually took place. God is a God. He's a living God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, just as we said at the beginning of the service. He's the Prince of Peace. He's, He's all these things. And if we choose to ignore truth, we choose to ignore reality. We choose to live in a state of disbelief in this world and have no relationship with God. But then the third thing is, I guess, are you in the business of being restored? As God comes alongside of you with grace and compassion saying, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? 
Are you there saying, yes, Lord, I love you. I'm committed to you no matter what might take place. But then when something does take place, maybe a sin or denying Christ, just as Peter did, he's there to come alongside of us gently to say, hey, do you love me? Let me tell you, I'm here for you. I want to see you succeed. I want to see you mature. I want to see you grow in our relationship between me and you. This is the kind of God I am. And I want you to live in truth and reality. The reality is one day we will die and we'll be no more with our bodies. But the reality is our spirits will live forever. The reality is there's a heaven and there's a hell. The reality is whoever simply believes spends eternity with God in heaven. The reality for those that don't simply believe spending eternity separated from God in hell. And it's important for us after the resurrection to really take into heart the words of God and truly believe truth and truly believe in reality that we have a God who is for the world. We have a God, we have, we have a world that needs God. And this is a reality for us as a church to take the love of God to other people. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. And, and Father, we thank you for Peter's example. It's much like my life, and I'm sure the lives here in this room, that one day we're, we're completely for you, and maybe the next we're not as strong as maybe we thought we were when we're apart from you. <clears throat> Father, I thank you that you're in the business of restoration and restoring us back to you. I thank you that you are slow to anger. I thank you that you are compassionate and that you're full of grace. And Father, I pray for us as a church that this slow to anger, this compassion, this full of grace is what we'll exhibit to one another and we'll exhibit here in Poznan. And even as we leave, that we'll take that with us and exhibit the love of Christ to those that we come across. But Father, I thank you for this, this love that you have for us, this agape, this strong love. And Father, we want to come before you and move this maybe like to a strong love that we truly love you. And Father, for those that are maybe in a state of disbelief, that can't accept truth or reality and don't think that there's any absolute truth or whatever is good for you is whatever life is meaning. Not much sense to it. But Father, I pray that you'd help them to come to a state of belief and enter into a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are alive that you live for us. And Father, we want to live for you. We ask for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.